Welcome to our latest webinar for corporates. In this series, we'll be examining recent events and looking ahead at what might be in store for financial markets and the economy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the March webinar well. So uh, we're going to walk through how things have altered since the previous call onto the presentation itself. And the first slide, um, or the next slide rather, from, from this is looking at the pace of COVID vaccinations. And we can see from this chart, um, I've only selected a few, but we can see from this chart that we we have um, seen a significant further increase in the pace of va uh, vaccination across all of the main Western developed economies. So the UK is leading the way in terms of vaccinations per 100 uh, head of population. The United States is also seemingly seeing their pace of, of vaccination program picking up. And the European Union has seen a slight increase in the angle of uh, the, their vaccination program as well, albeit that uh, they're still finding that there are issues with regard to delivering vaccine doses, particularly around the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, even though both France and Germany have done a significant U-turn on the efficacy of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, um, there's still a very large stockpile that's gone unused. And we've seen also Italy recently having to uh, block the export of 250,000 doses of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine to Australia um, using the new powers awarded to them by the European Union but because of the dispute between the EU and AstraZeneca. I think the other thing to note is that quite a few of the vaccine programs in the UK uh, was one of the first to do this and now elongating the period between giving the first dose and giving the second dose of vaccine. And so you will see some um, slowdown in the pace of, of vaccinations per um, head of population in terms of first doses versus second doses, unless they can accelerate their, their vaccination programs further. Um, and it's notable that uh, the UK now seems to be stepping up the program of second dose vaccinations over the course of the last week or two. We haven't seen the, the same scale of, of vaccinations across the rest of the world, particularly in the emerging and developed countries. And I think that is uh, going to be crucial in terms of trying to get on top of coronavirus, if indeed that's what uh, the world wants to do. Because if you leave anywhere unvaccinated, then coronavirus will be uh, able to mutate in those areas and potentially one of those mutations may fall through the, the, the cracks as far as the vaccine's efficacy is concerned. But the good news on the, those vaccination programs is that quite a lot of them are now reaching a point at which we're at herd immunity or close to herd immunity. Um, and consequently, we are starting to see the unlocking program beginning with regard to most of these, these countries. So if we look at uh, the next slide, then this sort of details some key dates for the UK and also what's happening in the rest of the world. And the key dates for the UK, well, the first one's already gone. So schools have reopened in England and some outdoor meeting has, has been sanctioned. The 29th of March is the next key 
milestone as far as the dates are concerned when they reintroduce the rule of six and allow outdoor sports facilities to reopen uh, as well as organized outdoor sports to resume and then you get to the 12th of april and, and this is where not all non-essential shops will be allowed to reopen so about a month away from now you'll have all non-essential shops reopening outdoor pubs and restaurants so uh, sorry outdoor areas and pubs and restaurants allowed to serve um patrons gyms spas domestic holidays uh, reopening zoos and theme parks reopening as well and then you get to the 17th of may and that's where the uh, uh, but no earlier than the 17th of may international leisure travel is set to resume and a number of other indoor venues are allowed to reopen as well and then by the 21st of june assuming all goes well then you get nightclubs reopening and no limits on social gatherings so things like weddings etc can go ahead with no limitations but of course all of this is still informed by the data so it'll be informed by rates of infection hospitalizations and deaths you know those are the three key uh, elements of this and um, uh, and again the, the the issue for not just the uk but for other countries will be about not not overwhelming not swamping the um, the healthcare systems with regard to coronavirus so that they can get back on track with regard to other operations and other treatments now if we look at the rest of the world you're seeing some lockdown exhaustion so if you look at germany as an example they've extended the lockdown but they've relaxed the lockdown restrictions so they've said that some other shops and facilities can reopen but that other areas are going to remain closed for a longer period of time so i think they've extended it by three weeks if you look at new zealand in Australia, they've still got very widespread bans in terms of uh, travel. Uh, there, there are quarantines when you um, arrive in both of those countries, and they introduce statewide lockdowns for individual outbreaks. You know, you only have to get one or two cases of coronavirus, and boom, you're back into a statewide lockdown for for ten. Uh, to 14 days. The, the, the domestic economies remain open, but there are limitations in terms of mass gathering. So there's that th there are restrictions still in place in those countries, even though they've got very low levels of coronavirus outbreaks. In the US, they've not really locked down. They're not going to lock down. There's been a lot of criticism from Joe Biden over states who are loosening measures. Um, and despite all of this, COVID infection numbers are beginning to fall. And uh, that may be just because of how widespread the infection has um, reached across the U.S. economy. But it will also be down to the fact that the vaccination program has got off to a relatively strong start. Again, in comparison to the European Union, less strong versus the U.K. France still has its 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew in place, but schools have been largely open throughout Spain has restrictions on inter-region travel uh, being mooted for Easter, but bars and restaurants have basically been open and uh, similarly with schools. Uh, moreover, uh, I think that, uh, that Spain, uh, again, exhibits a similar problem with regard to vaccinations. And across Europe, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, there is much more widespread vaccination scepticism than we're seeing in other countries. Now, that may be important in terms of how fast and how far they can go with unlocking. Um, and of course, um, because their vaccination programs are well behind the US and the UKs, and that might mean that their economy recovers much more slowly than 
the US and UKs as well, and that will have implications with regard to currencies. If we move on to the next sort of slide, and this is another sort of question, what will happen with regard to vaccine passports? The debate on this seems to have moved on. If we're looking at domestically, I don't think the idea of vaccine passports is going to fly um, in terms of that you can't go to a bar or a restaurant or um, any other uh, place where you will come into potentially close contact with other individuals if you don't show that you've already had the vaccine. Um, because we know, for example, that uh, the coronavirus has a much more devastating effect on certain age groups um, as far as hospitalizations, serious illness and death. And equally as well, we're only slowly moving down the age curve as far as vaccinations being offered. So that would mean discrimination against younger age groups who are not going to uh, be offered the vaccinations, uh, younger age groups in adults rather who are not going to be offered the vaccinations until much much later into the year so i don't think from a domestic standpoint that that will fly and i think this will possibly be combined with testing um, so if you uh, you aren't able to get a vaccine then you may well be able to get a negative test before you travel in order to demonstrate that you're not carrying the coronavirus. So I think that, that you will see this on international travel, but I don't believe that you'll see this introduced in domestic economies, whether that's the UK, the US, or indeed across Europe, because it involves a, a significantly higher degree of administration, and it will create a two-tier system. So non-essential retail, for example, won't be asking for vaccine passports, but non-essential services like restaurants, bars, uh, hospitality, gyms, cinemas, etc., might have to, um, and, and, and that might lead to uh, some disparity in spending. So that will be an interesting thing to watch in terms of the recovery of certain elements of the UK and other economies around the globe. If we move on to the next slide, we look at what Rishi Sunak announced in the budget last week. Well, what he announced was that they're going to keep borrowing for now. So the support that was in place with regard to businesses and households remains in situ until really the end of uh, September for most of these measures. Uh, but then we're going to step relatively rapidly away from that. The budget surprised a little bit with regard uh, to the uh, uh, super deduction that was announced by Rishi Sunak for investment allowances. Um, I, I, I do think that there is a hope, and this was seemingly uh, uh, articulated by the business secretary, that they might not have to juice, introduce the entirety of the tax increases that are, are potentially going to be placed upon the UK economy. So things like the income tax threshold three, uh, freezes and the corporation tax rise, it might not have to uh, be as significant as large if the, um, the, the UK economy is able to recover more quickly. And I think that's really, I mean, that, that, that's a good synopsis of where a lot of economies are that they recognise that there will be a price to pay for all of the temporary support that they provided for, the, uh, for their economies. But they're hoping that the price to pay will be less because the extent of the recoveries is faster and the extent of the downturns was smaller than previously expected. But there is a, there is a 
a, a question mark. If any government, if any economy is raising taxes, what will that do to growth? And I think there is a fear that that will slow the pace of, of growth down. Um, and it will mean that in terms of uh, recouping the, uh, the, the the taxes with regard to um, supporting the, uh, the 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 recovery in the deficit, so so getting the deficits back to manageable levels, sort of a couple of percentage points. That um, uh, you know, if you're raising taxes, you're p- potentially getting to the point where um, you're, you're creating an environment that that, that is actually self defeating. Um, that tax increases will just um, lead to lower uh, revenue raised because growth will be, be be lower. And that's a big question as far as the US is concerned. Um, the, 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 the question mark as far as the, uh, the, 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 the US recovery plan, um, their fiscal stimulus, which is still with the House of Representatives being voted on early um, in the US morning, uh, and will then go to Biden for his signing. That is is already baked in. That $1.9 trillion of additional fiscal spending is already baked in. But Biden then has a very ambitious plan for economic transformation, for investment in infrastructure, for investment in in energy transformation as well. So moving towards more renewable forms of uh, of energy, uh, and has already faced some pushback from senators, particularly moderate Democratic senators, that are saying, "Don't try the same trick that you have with the uh, fiscal stimulus or fiscal relief bill that, that we've." signed uh, or, or signed off on because we'll, we won't vote for it. And anything that includes significant tax rises, and again, the reason I'm focusing on taxes is because I see this as, as critical. Anything that focuses on tax rises in order to fund your plans for uh, additional infrastructure spending and additional uh, energy transformation is not going to get the vote of moderate Democrats because those moderate Democrats think that it is unlikely to fly with even moderate Republicans. And what happened with this fiscal bill um, that's that's just about to be signed into law is effectively the Democrats froze out the Republicans. They, they said they didn't need their support, that they could get this um, through the Senate on a partisan party basis. And, and so the, the Republicans were not invited, really, to make any contributions with regard to it. The fiscal stimulus is important for two reasons. Number one, I've talked about potential tax rises and, and what that, that might mean. But it will also have implications with regard to monetary policy in the future. And we have seen yields rising very sharply recently. Um, which again potentially impinges on countries' ability to fund essential spending versus having to to fund uh, the uh, the cost of funding the uh, the cost of financing the deficits and the debt. Um, so consequently, I think uh, I would be very concerned if you see any major Western developed countries supporting a significant further increase in fiscal spending to try and. Uh, bolster growth because it has the potential of crowding out private sector spending, private sector investment, um, and also potentially increasing interest rates, not not necessarily um, the official interest rates from the likes of the Federal Reserve, Bank of England, 
or indeed the European Central Bank, but certainly leading to higher yields across the yield curve, which in effect is a monetary tightening. So if we move on to the next slide, and just uh, this, this again talks to the point that where the hope is from fiscal authorities, from monetary authorities, um, and from economies generally, is that the damage done is lower than previously expe expected. This was the Office for Budget Responsibility's projections for where the peak in unemployment was going to be. And the peak in unemployment has gone from uh, sort of potentially being close to 8%, sort of 7.5, between 7.5 and 8%, to now about 6.5%. So a full percentage point below where they were expecting only four months ago. Remember, this, this previous forecast was done in, uh, in November. Why is that? Well, because A, the, uh, the damage done to the UK economy in the fourth quarter with the lockdown was lower than, than, than expected. Uh, B, the vaccination program that the UK uh, has embarked upon is actually beating the targets that the government set for themselves. So there is an argument to be had that um, the, the government could agree to an earlier unlocking of the UK economy, although I don't think that they will. Um, but certainly in terms of meeting the 21st of, of June, when all restrictions are lifted, I think that, that most anticipate that we're on track for that. But a, a, a less affected labour market means fewer people having to uh, to be on the claimant count for any prolonged period of time. More importantly, I think it also means that the returns from income tax uh, over future years when those income tax thresholds are frozen are going to potentially increase, uh, assuming, of course, that inflation is positive uh, and wage inflation is positive. And, and then critically, uh, like if the, the, the peak in unemployment is lower, it means that the amount of money that households are prepared to deploy in terms of private consumption, we think it's almost 60 billion that they will have in their armory as far as deploying for, for spending over the coming quarters um, is, is potentially going to get spent rather than getting saved because people will feel more optimistic given a lower peak in unemployment. However, and there's, a, there's a, always a big however in all of this, the same might not be said of other countries. We don't know. Um, how quickly recoveries in labour markets are going to be. We think back to 2010, uh, 2009-10 and the financial crisis and its aftermath, um, the recovery in the UK labour market took multiple years. And in this forecast alone, um, you will see that the recovery in the UK labour market never gets us back to pre-pandemic levels of unemployment. So the unemployment rate never falls below 4% according to the March forecast, which is the blue line. And it's a similar thing with regard to forecasts that we've seen from the European Central Bank and also from the US Federal Reserve. And so there is lasting scarring, even though the damage on the labour market is predicted to be lighter than previously anticipated. And again, 
given uh, the the balance of economies, the UK's being heavily services related, will that have a longer, medium to longer term impact with regard to consumer expenditure and with regard to UK economic growth? That's something to think about with regard to where currencies might be heading in the medium to longer term rather than in the short term. Moving on to the next slide, and that is the the currency forecasts. And you'll see that those haven't really changed that much. Um, we're still expecting that sterling will hold it around these, these current uh, levels, 139, 140, down into the 138 over the remainder of 2021, but that there's a potential sting in the tail coming in 2022. Um, and we would expect to see sterling falling back towards um, 133 and potentially even 130. Now, that could happen earlier. And I, I certainly think that as far as sterling dollar is concerned, over the course of the remainder of this year, it's going to struggle to make further headway higher. Um, the reason being is that all of the positive news as far as vaccinations is, is broadly speaking priced in. Um, the vaccination programs in the US are likely to be further bolstered by the fiscal relief program that is currently before the House of Representatives, and because that spends, I think it's almost half a trillion dollars on um, both treatment and also vaccinations for the US. So there's there's definitely room for the US to play some catch up. Uh, and equally as well, I think it's going to be very difficult for not just the UK economy, but most economies to outperform some ambitious expectations for growth in 2021 and beyond. If you look at the Bank of England, they expect the UK to have recouped all of its lost economic output by the end of the first quarter of 2022. The, OB, the OBR said it would be the end of the first half of 2022. Um, I'm just not convinced it will be that quick. Uh, going back to the, the the previous slide, when I was talking about the previous slide, you know there is lasting scarring on the UK economy for multiple years, and so consequently, I think it will take a little longer. It might take until the end of 2022 or into early 2023 before we see the the UK economy recouping all of its lost output. The US, on the other hand, is probably going to do it by the end of uh, the first half of 2021, by the looks of things. Um, against the euro as well, although our forecasts suggest that we've got sterling euro heading lower from current levels, I think in the in the short term, over the next month or two, there's the potential for it to take another um, good look higher um, to previous highs above 117. Again, it starts to run out of momentum and oxygen at those sorts of levels. Um, and I noted in this morning's daily comment, for example, that you are seeing some problems re-emerging in terms of freight shipments from the continent to the UK and vice versa, a greater number of rejections. Remember that in early April, you're going to have the full border checks being instigated, um, or they should be instigated on both sides of the channel. Um, and so for continental Europe and the UK, there is going to be potentially another round of disruption as far as trade is concerned. And that could have some short-term negative effects on trade. Um, so bearing that in mind, the next month or two, yeah, 117, possibly up to 118 is, is, is a risk. But longer term, I think sterling euro is, is going to head lower. And again, the UK has built up a lot of 
points, positive points, as far as its vaccination program is concerned, you would expect Europe to be playing catch-up over the next couple of quarters into the end of 2021. Other questions to ask, well, what's going to happen in commodity currencies or Asian currencies as recoveries uh, ensue? And I think there's a, there's a particular point to, to throw in here. Given that a lot of emerging countries didn't have the fiscal firepower to throw at the pandemic problem, they're not, they're, they're, their fiscal position is one that's uh, worsened almost solely because of lower growth. So as, a, as economies recover, their fiscal uh, positions could recover faster. So watch out and see whether that has a, a positive effect on some Asian currencies in particular, you know, tied to the Chinese renminbi, which was, you know, China was one of the few economies that actually grew in 2020, as expected to grow by more than 8% in 2021. Uh, I think that could play positively for Asia, uh, outperforming the rest of the world and outperforming the likes of the um, uh, uh, the, 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 the Western uh, developed world, but but other emerging markets as well. I don't think Latin America, I don't think Africa, I don't think emerging Europe will perform anywhere near as well. Um, the one set of economies that might perform strongly is the Middle Eastern economies supported by a buoyant oil price once again. Um, and that's really the last point. What about the commodity currencies? I think there's room for manoeuvre for strength as far as commodity currencies are concerned. So things like the Brazilian real, the Russian ruble, the Canadian dollar, all of them are expected to remain reasonably strong. The potential outlier in this is the South African rand and only uh, the South African rand is only uh, an outlier because a number of the fiscal policies and um, uh, and, and the, the the current ruling government uh, they've they've made a, a bit of a hash of their their coronavirus strategy. But overall, I think we're we're optimistic for the very short term about sterling, but realistic that sterling's had one heck of a run higher as far as against the US dollar and um, it's made some decent gains against the euro and it might give some of those back in the remainder of the year. Thanks very much for listening to the webinar. We hope you found it informative. The next in the series will be available shortly.